This is the Read to Lead podcast, episode 492. They literally said in Phoenix and in uh, parts of California, we will run out of (laughs) humans to hire because uh, we've churned through so many. For years, Walmart and Amazon operated in separate spheres. One, a massive brick and mortar retailer, the other, an online giant. But in 2016, Walmart aggressively moved into the world of e-commerce while Amazon made big bets in physical retail. What can we learn from this back-and-forth battle? Well, you're about to find out. Hi, I'm Jeff, and this is the Read to Lead podcast, the podcast dedicated to your personal and professional growth. I'm so glad you're here. We're going to be talking with Jason Del Rey today about his book called Winner Sells All, Amazon, Walmart, and the Battle for Our Wallets. I'll be asking Jason a number of key questions, the first of which is, what is the average person you and me need to understand about this story, about this battle? How their differences in ethos, culture, strategy, and leadership have played themselves out and that we can learn from. In a winner-sells-all economy, what do we, consumers, merchants, and employees stand to lose? And lots, lots more. I am about to give away a 100 free books books from authors I'll be interviewing in just a couple of weeks. The book is called Leadership is Overrated, How the Navy Seals and Successful Businesses Create Self-Leading Teams That Win. Now, the thing is, these 100 copies have already been spoken for. They're going to 100 people either from my mailing list, in the Read to Lead community, or both. And I'm telling you this in case you're sitting there saying, why did I not know about this, Jeff? Why didn't you talk about it on the podcast? so that you can know that I'm doing this at least two more times this year with two additional books. And so the best way to find out about these book giveaways is by joining my email list. Just go to readtoleadpodcast.com and enter your name and email address in the form at the top right of the page. You'll get a free resource from me just for doing that. You can also go to jeffbrown.me and join the Read to Lead community there. It's just $9 a month. And members of that community will be able to not only score a free book, but also join me in a meeting with the author about the book. That's a pretty cool kind of book club, isn't it? Well, that's exactly what this book club is designed to be. A pretty cool book club, but also one where you can learn a whole lot from not just other members, other readers of the book, but the authors themselves. So get on my mailing list, readtoleadpodcast.com to do that. Fill the form in the upper right of the page and or join the Read to Lead community right now. It's, again, at jeffbrown.me. We'll see you there. Jason Del Rey is a veteran business journalist who spent a decade at Recode, a leading online technology publication reporting on Amazon, Walmart, and how technology is transforming retail both online and in stores. He's the host of Land of Giants, The Rise of Amazon, a narrative podcast series about the tech giant's rise and the impact of its relentless ambition on hundreds of millions of people across the world. He was also the producer of Code Commerce, an event series featuring unscripted interviews with the most influential executives and entrepreneurs working at the intersection of technology and commerce. In 2019, the National Retail Federation named him one of the 25 people shaping retail's future. His new book, and one with plenty of lessons for today's leaders, is called Winner Sells All, Amazon, Walmart, and the Battle for Our Wallets. 
Well, Jason, I'm, I'm thrilled to have you here and talk about this book. Um, I think it's one that all leaders should consider reading. So welcome to the Read to Lead podcast. I really appreciate you having me. Tell me about this person uh, you call your wife. Uh, <laughs> you mentioned that uh, she inspired you to become a better man and she saved you. How exactly? Yeah. So um, we're going to start out going deep right away. Huh? Like, um, you know, we we met at a challenging time. So my wife and I met in a bar in New York City and um, really an unplanned turn of events. But uh, my my mother at the time was was very ill and, you know, basically dying from from cancer. And um, I was in a really bad place. I was, so I was, I was 22 years old at the time. And, uh, anyway, you know, I knew, I thought I knew what I wanted to do for a career, but really couldn't really find much, much promise in the future at the time in in the situation I was in. I was very close with my mother. And so that's the saving me part. Um, she came into my life at a, at a time when I probably most needed her Mm. and really in sort of just a coincidental way. And then, you know, the better man piece is just, she reminds me at many times when I could be doing better in many facets of my life, mainly as a, as a partner and, uh, and as a father. And so that's, that's the inspired to be a better man piece. Uh, you know, the average person listening to this right now, knowledge worker, manager, entrepreneur, leader might be thinking, you know, what does my business, my company have in common with these behemoths? You know, what, what can I possibly learn from them, maybe maybe doubtful about that. Why is it important for us to understand this story and this battle between these two companies? Sure, I, a couple of quick re- reasons. One is, I, I think, just as everyday people, the influence these companies have over us. Yes, in the retail industry and in our daily shopping, but also in now entertainment and uh, increasingly in the future, I think healthcare, um, they just impact our lives in many ways. And so knowing how the leaders of these companies think, how how they influence each other, what their motivations are, I just think for the average curious person who wants to know how and why they're being impacted by, you know, these products and services and who's behind them. I, I think I think that's important. You know, from a business perspective, a lot of people see Amazon specifically today, see, you know, read about or hear about their DNA, their leadership principles, and frankly, want to emulate some of what they've done or how they operate to achieve some of the success they have. And those are companies far and wide outside of, you know, retail and e-commerce outside of cloud computing. Mm. And so again, going deep inside these companies to understand how they really operate behind press releases, behind the leadership principles that are posted publicly, I think will help us make better choices as leaders about where we may want to still emulate them and where maybe we find there's a better path because they aren't necessarily what we think they are. You mentioned you know, how they are behind the veil. Uh, what have historically been some of the differences in, in things like ethos and culture and, and strategy and leadership between these two companies? And how have these things played themselves out that, that leaders might be able to take something from? I will answer that, but I'm going to twist for a second and just and just talk about their similarities, because I think that's really important as well and maybe overlooked today because a lot has changed Mm. um, over the years at these companies. Uh, When when Amazon started, uh, Jeff Bezos very, you know, you know, admittedly uh, borrowed from Sam Walton and and Walmart and in a couple key ways one was this idea of having a bias for action and that 
simply put means in most cases, they find it's better to make a decision. Maybe you know you're 60%, you have a 60% idea that you're right in, in this decision, but instead of waiting another six months to make sure you're 100% right, you're going you're gonna to jump in and make these decisions more quickly with as best, uh, uh, as much information as you, as you have to feel relatively confident. And that, that sort of speed has been a great advantage at, to both companies at different points in their history. So that's one similarity. Um, another is putting the customer at the center of, of everything you do and sort of, um, again, this is at different periods of times, each company has done it better than at other points, but not shareholders first, not frankly, not employees first, but customers first. And then sort of everything else is second or third after that. So, so I, I think it is important because they, we look at them or some people look at them as very different companies, but their origins, there, there, there is a lot of the same ethos. Over yeah. time, one big difference we saw was in organizational structure. And at Amazon, they've over time had these, these teams, and you may have talked about these at some point um, over the years on your podcast, but these two pizza teams, essentially small teams of maybe no more than about 10 employees that can be the idea being they could, they could be fed on two pizzas. And there consists of employees with different expertise different from different parts of the company but that are working together on a project or new idea or new service um autonomously really mm. with little to no disruption from others outside of the company and that it, that has been a key to amazon's innovation and speed over time we can talk about how that's changed in recent years but versus the centralized top-down leadership uh, structure at Walmart mm. that frankly was necessary to to um, have the massive speed of the rollout of Supercenter stores because everyone had to basically roll out in the same way. But over time, uh, I think slowed them down a bit. Mm. You know, I, I think back to some of the authors we've talked to over the years. Uh, there have been several that I've talked to that have written books specifically about Amazon. So when you say two pizza teams, I go, yeah, that rings a bell. We certainly talked about that. You know, I had forgotten all about Jet.com and, and and Walmart's acquisition. Talk about some of the the internal battles that ensued not long after that acquisition. Sure. So yeah, just if some people might not know, Jet.com uh, online shopping startup started by an entrepreneur named Mark Lori. Uh, for those who might not remember or know, Mark also was a co-founder of the company that ran diapers.com and sold that to Amazon back in the day. So uh, Mark is a key character in this book uh, for a variety of reasons, but one straightforward one is he sold the company to Amazon for over $500 million and then sold the company to Walmart for $3.3 billion. Mark's doing okay for himself today. <laughs> um, he's now also the co-owner of the Minnesota Timberwolves uh, NBA franchise. Mm. Um, little fun fact. So, um, so Jet.com. So Jet.com was... Uh, it was trying to be sort of an online Costco. It started with the idea of a membership program mm -hmm. where you would shop online, pay a membership each year and get discounted prices. That sort of changed very quickly. They took the membership away and they tried to create all these different ways um, that shoppers could save. Um, and on the back end, uh, 
that was because Jet was, you know, the way people were ordering would make the supply chain more efficient and and Jet was giving back these savings. So one simple way they they gave money back to customers was uh the more the more items you added to your cart, so the bigger order you placed online, um, they gave you bigger discounts because the idea was the way they set up their warehouses, they could ship them out of one facility, not have to put them on an airplane, and they would repay you with those savings. Um, so they were they raised a lot of venture capital. They were growing really fast, but really were had not built a sustainable business yet. They were only about a year, year and a half old. And at the time, luckily for them, Walmart was really struggling with how to innovate online, how to grow faster in e-commerce. And so it was sort of uh, kind of a a marriage of desperation between the two parties, but a very lucrative one for Mark Laurie and some of his team. And uh, they come into Walmart, they sort of take over the e-commerce operation, bring a lot of urgency, bring a lot of sort of just new feature ideas rolling out quickly. Um, but there were a bit of a culture clash between them and the leaders on the physical store side of the Walmart business. As I was reading your book, um, I was in my living room and listening to my wife in the kitchen tell our Amazon Echo show to add such and such to the shopping <laughs> list that we would then go to Walmart and buy. <laughs> so, oh, wow. So it just struck me as, as, as funny as, I, as I'm sitting here reading your book, yeah, thinking about how we amazing. have our feet in, 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 both, in both camps. Amazon tried their hand at uh, retail bookstores, but then shut them shut them down. What what went wrong there? Yeah, uh, there's a, there's a couple of lessons here actually. So yes, Amazon had uh, a couple dozen bookstores. Remember when they opened? Uh, I think the word irony was in, in a lot of the headlines covering uh, covering the launch of these bookstores. Um, what what I learned in talking to a lot of the employees who actually worked at these bookstores was that the point of the bookstores for Amazon leadership was not actually to sell books. Um, they also sold Amazon gadgets like Kindles and Echo Shows and other devices. Uh, that was a priority over selling books, I was told by employees. And then another piece was signing customers up for Amazon digital subscriptions. So, you know, subscription to Audible, subscription to Prime, uh, mm. although something like 75% of the U.S. is already a Prime member. Uh, and wow. their focus, and this was, this was a lesson for me. I don't know if they took this lesson as well. When you get into a new business and your core purpose of that new business is, is almost strictly to benefit your existing mature businesses versus serving the customers of that new business as the number one priority, you know, book readers in, in the best way possible. I think you, you run into trouble and they did. And I have some anecdotes in the book about, you know, frankly, some shady tactics that some bookstore employees were taking to sign people up for free trials without their sort of full consent. Uh, so I think, I think they just didn't have differentiation enough, mm. didn't focus on the actual book customer enough, mm. uh, to make you want to come back to that bookstore versus another, or frankly, versus, you know, maybe ordering online. Yeah, you use this word uh, too to, to describe uh, Walmart that I love, the Amazonification mm. of, of Walmart and, and the failings that led some former Amazon employees inside Walmart to, to take over, basically. Yeah. So at, at different points over the last, let's see, six or seven years, uh, then there was this one key wave 
of Amazon employees who came into Walmart were hired into Walmart with lucrative pay packages with sort of job titles that they were actually told inside of Walmart. Um, maybe you shouldn't tell everyone what your actual title is because some people are going to be annoyed who've been here a long time. But they came in and they tried to reinvent a couple parts of the Walmart business, uh, mainly sort of the warehouse or what you call an e-commerce, the fulfillment mm-hmm. center business as well as some of the in-between logistics pieces behind the scenes. So something called the middle mile of logistics. And they were basically hired because Walmart had expertise in warehouses that ship pallets of goods to stores, but uh, shipping individual products to a customer's door because of an online order is actually very different, difficult in a different manner. Mm. And they just frankly didn't have a lot of expertise there and needed to sort of speed up their operations. And so uh, for better or worse, they they hired a bunch of Amazon folks. Some of them worked out and are still at the company today at Walmart in sort of high level positions. Mm. And some of them flamed out very quickly because they <laughs> sort of brought the same playbook at Amazon with sort of the same ideas of what culture should be inside a warehouse to Walmart and sort of the Walmart body rejected them. Mm. You know, I think about the pandemic, how each company handled it, was impacted by it. I would think for all the obvious reasons that Amazon would have the advantage here, but 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 Walmart also flexed its advantage during this time, didn't it? They did. So sort of split the pandemic into different parts, but let's talk about like the first six to 12 months. And yes, Amazon record sales, record profits. I mean, their prime membership program known for two-day delivery or quicker, it kind of didn't really exist during the early months of the pandemic because of all you know the issues once in a lifetime pandemic. But customers were coming to them a lot of stores were forced closed much to the dismay of some you know business leaders in traditional retail who who didn't see that was as quite fair um, and Walmart also was um, you know it was it was good for Walmart's business as well they they have a pickup grocery business that became extremely popular they were forced to finally do what they hadn't done in in their history, which is really use almost all their Walmart stores as mini warehouses to ship orders to customers as well. Mm. Um, that's something Amazon feared them doing literally since the beginning of Amazon. And mm. um, Walmart, just for a variety of reasons, never really was able to embrace that until they were forced to in the pandemic. Mm. And so really, from a business perspective, really good, very challenging from an employee management perspective and complaints at both com- you know from employees at both companies in the early months that at different points maybe not being as transparent as they should have been in terms of the virus spreading uh, how far it was spreading inside facilities at the companies um or also feeling like you know maybe they uh, employees should have had paid time off when they didn't and so a uh, complicated but but largely very good business wise for each company for at least the first sort of year of the pandemic mm. Uh, a week ago today, uh, coincidentally, as I started reading your book, I got an email from Amazon, and the subject line of that email was, your new pharmacy is Amazon Pharmacy. <laughs> Very uh, confident email. Healthcare is the next battle for these two giants. What, what's your take on their respective futures in this, in this area? 
Yeah, I think I think it's very possible that if we talk again, hopefully we do eight, 10 years from now, that we'll be talking about the most profound impact each company has had over this next decade mm. as being in this space. So um, they're going at it in a couple of different ways right now and, and sort of different from each other. Amazon, uh, they they have started this online pharmacy. They also bought another online pharmacy called PillPack, which mm. is mainly for people who take multiple medications every single day. And they they sort of beat out Walmart for that to acquire that startup, not in the book, in the real world. But I, I talk about this in my book and how devastated actually Walmart's CEO was even calling up PillPack's founder on the day the deal was announced to the world, trying to get him to change his mind. So mm. Amazon Online Pharmacy... And then in the real world, they bought a company for almost $4 billion called One Medical, which mm. is basically a chain of doctor's offices that also, but also very sort of um, technologically advanced. They have virtual care as well. Uh, you pay an annual subscription as part of the membership to these doctor's offices so that you're guaranteed to be able to visit within, I think, 24 or 48 hours. That's going to sort of a higher end, almost concierge type medical care. Walmart, on the other hand, they're build building out physical health clinics. They call them Wal Walmart Health. I call them sort of a super center for healthcare. Mm. And those are mostly in areas where they feel very good healthcare or medical care is not easily accessible to the average community member. And that people find themselves, you know, going to the ER more often than they probably need to or should uh, because they don't have many other good options in terms of doctor's offices. Mm -hmm. There's still, there's only a few dozen of those today. And, you know, some former Walmart leaders, they, they just, they just hope Walmart can finally keep good health leaders to stay at the company because that's been their biggest uh, challenge to date. I think they've had something like nine or 10 different Walmart health leaders over just the last decade. Wow. Um, you, know, you hinted earlier at employee issues briefly, and it, it, you know, we all are quite familiar with the bad press that both of these companies have gotten over the years with regard to employee treatment. What are some things maybe as leaders we can learn there that, you know, some things maybe not to do? <laughs> Yeah, that that's a great question. I mean, so I've covered both companies for a decade and uh you're right. I mean, labor issues have been, you know, the sort of the the original big bad bully of of retail when it comes to worker treatment uh to many has been Walmart, even though they for many years had sort of a profit sharing uh equity sharing uh, you know agreement with all with mm -hmm. all workers. Uh, that's that's gone away, but they really, you know, the way they looked at it was we're gonna we're gonna pay workers what we need to or required to, but our goal is to keep prices as low as possible to serve customers. And one way we're gonna do that is is the pay we're giving out. Listen, they're a huge, big, successful company to many people, but anecdotally, you go into a Walmart store and the service, at least by me, like the service does not make you want to come back inside that store. My, my wife and I, we do a lot of online pickup orders at, at Walmart. And I don't, I don't, I'm not saying I blame the employees, but um, it's, you know, it is not a service driven company, at least in, in, in our experience. And so low prices are above everything else. 
if if that's what you, if that's the way you want to run your business, I mean, that's a leader's prerogative. But I think for many companies who don't have the scale of Walmart, you'll run in, you will eventually run into trouble with sort of poor poor service. Um, Amazon, on the other hand, you know they. In a lot of ways, they want credit for raising, you know, they were the sort of the first among the big companies to raise their minimum pay to $15. I've talked to hundreds of Amazon workers over the years. Some will say, listen, they gave me an opportunity I wouldn't otherwise have. I've now um, risen up the ranks. But others, you know, many others will say, uh, just the expectations of what a human can do, the speed at which we can work. Mm. You know, I understand why they want that to operate for their business, but we're not robots. And so, you know, picking 350 items an hour, which is, you know, a real a real quota inside their warehouses, I might be able to do that for seven months, but eventually I'm going to break down. And so that's why we've seen churn rates or turnover rates inside Amazon of uh, in some areas, I reported over 200% in some warehouses. So that meaning the warehouse staff is turning over multiple times a year. Mm. Um, and that's caused them in some markets to almost run out of people to hire. They had an internal memo I once reported on where uh, they literally said in Phoenix and in uh, parts of California, we will run out of <laughs> humans to hire because uh, we've turned through so many. So I think both are getting better. I think they're they're pushing their education programs where they're sort of subsidizing uh, education for employees, but kind of still feel like it didn't it didn't have to be this way uh, at either of the companies. But they've chosen the paths they have. You mentioned some of the customer service issues at Walmart. Have you had any conversations with with CEO Doug McMillan about this at all? Yeah, so I did sit down with Doug McMillan for the for for the book. I, I traveled to Bentonville, Arkansas, their headquarters, and sat in the same office with him that uh, Sam Walton once did. Mm. They're now building sort of a, a much different, nicer uh, headquarters in Bentonville, three hundred fifty million dollars, which is a whole nother story. Mm. Uh, former a lot of former Walmart people just think uh, it's it doesn't live up to sort of the frugality ethos of the company, mm. but we'll right. see. Mm. Um, yeah, so I, I Doug and I. You know, I had 90 minutes with him, so we tried to fit a lot in. And uh, one thing was was worker pay specifically mm. and uh, complaints that Walmart took away some bonuses they once that they once gave to store employees. And listen, he said they're going to keep raising wages, partly through automating some uh, tasks mm. uh, that that maybe some workers had to do previously that were some of the more menial parts of the job. But he also said, and I'm not sure I, I agree with him, but his point of view is people focus too much on the starting wage at Walmart and that you're rewarded at Walmart by uh, moving up. Now, you talk to entry-level people and they'd say either A, it's hard to move up, or B, you, know, you move up and some people feel like you're taking advantage of uh, because you're getting paid a little more and and now much more too much is expected of you. And so it's a complicated topic at a company like that at the point they're at to sort of, you know, reverse course and become a totally different company from a pay perspective, but but still competitive labor market and so I think they're going to keep having to get better or in some areas, you know, they're going to they're going to lose lose talent and have a, a hard time hiring. Mm. Amazon, uh, to me, seems to be at a, a bit of a, a crossroads. Have they plateaued or, or, or will, they, will they learn to innovate again, do you think? 
I wish I had the answer. Um, I I would I would not buy their stock because I report on them. <laughs> but I you know I wish I had the answer so I could brag about what was coming. But it it is absolutely and I've written this in the last year. They're sort of at this inflection point. Um, relatively new CEO uh, Andy Jassy took over uh, about two years ago now from Jeff Bezos. Um, he's been at he's been at the company a, ver- a very long time, but new new top leader. They had the biggest corporate layoffs in history over the past year, 27,000 corporate employees. Um, Jassy went on a bit of a cost-cutting spree. You know, a lot of people inside the company would say necessary, but uh, the communication around that those layoffs um, was very, very poor. And morale is not great in a lot of parts of the company. Some parts, you know, that are... Um, investing heavily, like their advertising business and parts of Amazon Web Services, morale might be better. But a lot of parts of the core retail business, morale is not great. And so the big open question is, yeah, is this as Jeff Bezos would call it day two, meaning like, you know, you're no longer the innovative, fast moving company? Or is this sort of just a reset, pulling in some of the um, inefficient spending and then resetting and then making some more big bets. I don't know what the answer is, but I think over the next 12 months, layoffs, are, I think, are over. We'll sort of see what Amazon under Andy Jassy really looks like. If you have me back in a year, perhaps I'll have a, a clear cut answer for both of us. Uh, your day two comment reminded me of one of the authors that I had on who wrote a book called It's Always Day One. Alex, Alex Kantrowitz. Yes. Yeah. What do we lose, we being consumers and, and business owners and, and employees in this sort of winner sells all economy, would you say? Yeah, I listen, I think it's a complicated topic and I think there's definitely things we gain um, in terms of the competition between we, what we gain as consumers. So competition between each, I think, leads to more convenient shopping if convenience is what you're looking for. Now, on the back end, does convenience mm-hmm. for consumers lead to a better work experience for the millions of people? You know, they're they're the two biggest employers. I mean, another reason this book's important. These are the two biggest employers outside the government in the U.S. So mm-hmm. what we lose, you know, the price competition between the company, um, many people see it as a good thing, but there are some policies inside the companies that some would argue actually keep prices inflated online. So I'll just quickly explain one. If an Amazon seller, a merchant who sells on Amazon wants to price their item more inexpensively elsewhere, because Amazon charges a lot of fees that they have to build into their price, but on their own website, maybe they don't have all those fees. Um, Amazon will penalize them and basically not show their listing on Amazon if they try to price uh, their item lower on their own website. And so some sellers have made the case, and this is in court now in some places, that Amazon is actually artificially inflating the price around the internet through this policy because... Um, a seller doesn't want to lose their place on Amazon. It's too important. And so, you know, even if they can, they won't sell that item more cheaply on their own site because Amazon will will sort of wipe them off the, the Amazon platform. So that's something we lose. And then on the on the labor side and the worker side, like I said, millions of people work for these companies. Millions of other employees work for companies that want to emulate how these companies operate or are partners of them in the delivery or logistics field. And, Mm. you know, 
when they sort of sacrifice in some cases the workers well-being for productivity for the consumer experience for fast delivery times you know that has a trickle down effect to the rest of some of these industries and employees and so we just have to be careful about what we want work to look like in this country and around the world when we are emulating these companies that sort of have are, are a mixed bag of impacts Mm. Well, there's a lot of things I haven't talked about that we we could have gone into. Is there anything we haven't talked about that you want to make sure that uh, that we hear about and, and walk away with? You know, I I, I think we, we we covered a lot. I think the book I, I wrote the book in a way that yes, people in the retail or e-commerce or logistics industries people have told me it's a must read for those people mm. but i wrote it in a way that um is accessible and informative and entertaining enough i hope my wife has told me it is and she's always honest with me <laughs> that if you're just a curious person who cares about or you know uses these services or cares about their impact that you will find this this an informative and and compelling read as well. And so I, I just like to stress that because um, business leaders definitely can learn a lot, but I, I I think the average smart curious person can as well. And so that that's just something uh, uh, to add here. You've got one up on me because I've in two years, almost two years to the day, have yet to be able to get my wife to read my book. So, so oh. kudos to you. <laughs> well, I was very nervous about it, and um, but man, I know if she lies, and she she would she would not lie to me about this. So. Well, speaking of books, I'd love to know if there are a, a one or two or three, uh, whatever the number might be, that uh, stick out to you as having had a, a big impact on you in your life or your career, or maybe the books that you recommend to other people. Yeah, sure. So um, one that came to mind right away is a, a book called Small Giants uh, by a journalist named Bo Burlingham. And I worked at a magazine called Inc. Magazine early in my career. Um, I had an appreciation, I think, for small businesses because my father was a uh, small business accountant in, mm. back in Staten Island, New York, and where I where I was raised. And many of his clients were small businesses, and so I would hear stories, and many of them became his friends. Mm. But really, you know, at Inc., which you know, before it was writing about tech startups on you know the sort of tech entrepreneurs or internet entrepreneurs was. Writing a lot. I mean, it's still today, I think, does, you know, the average innovative, smart, challenged small business owner. And so Bo's book, uh, focusing on businesses that had a different, different definition of success than we might often think of in this country, you know, not growing to employ necessarily tens of thousands of employees or growth at all costs, but different types of metrics used for success and just running outstanding businesses on a smaller scale. That I think that just brought a new appreciation for different types of business leaders in this country. And I think that stuck with me and stuck with me throughout my time at Inc. Magazine for sure. Mm. Um, the other one that comes to mind is it is related to my what I've covered for the last decade. And it's uh, the Everything Store by Brad Stone, mm. and um, obviously a classic now. And uh, I've gotten lucky enough to get to know Brad over the years. But really, I, I read that book just as I was starting to cover this company. And to me, that you know, as a as a journalist, a writer, it just proved to me what <laughs> what a compelling 
nonfiction business book could be um, really just an absolute, in my opinion, page turner mm. and um, raise the bar for my own expectations about myself and my career and what kind of what 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 you can do to hone your craft to the point that that you could produce something like that. So, so those are the two that um, that that come to mind. Love, love seeing you give a hat tip to another journalist and and a book that they've written. I haven't had Brad on. I did have. I don't know if you've read the Bezos Letters. I think it's called by Steve Anderson. Does that one ring a bell? Yeah, I'm I'm trying to think if that's the most recent the if that's one that's come out in the last. I'm forgetting the name of one that's come out in just the last few years that are mm-hmm. essentially a compilation of. Of Bezos's writings that was that was approved by 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 Bezos himself. So that perhaps that's it. Yeah, yeah, good good book. Uh, uh, Steve's a friend. If you haven't checked that out, I, I highly recommend it. Um, I teach a course called uh, Note Making Mastery. It's sort of uh, the the GDT for for knowledge management. We have uh, the tools we use, and and most of us have followed the the David Allen mantra for our tasks and to dos. But many of us haven't applied some of the same concepts to our personal knowledge to make sure that the things we learn, the ideas we have don't get lost along the way. Anything you're doing uh, there in, in that realm uh, to make sure that the things you learn along uh, life's path actually get uh, turned into new uh, creative pursuits down the road? Uh, Jeff, I need a lot of help in this regard, Jeff. So um, <laughs> listen, at the beginning of my book process, so I it, I started in uh, 2020. It took me three years between it was a long three years, Jeff. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I, I sort of surveyed, I, I have all, many journalist friends who've now written uh, nonfiction books and uh, surveyed them about the tools they were using or methods they were using. Mm-hmm. And I got, I was pretty disappointed by the answers um, I received, <laughs> uh, including from, you know, Brad, who I forget what his exact response was, but it was, it was, it was, it made me feel a little better about myself at the time, but uh, <laughs> I try. Listen, I tried a couple of programs like uh, Rome uh, from Rome Research. I tried Me- uh, is it Mem? Mm-hmm. Nothing really stuck for me. It felt like a lot of work, and so Jeff, I'm going to really disappoint you and say <laughs> um, I was like an Excel, uh, a, a Google Sheets, and. Um, uh-huh. And and Google Docs guy and an iPhone notes. I I I still, I mean, I I am pretty good about retrieving my iPhone notes and mm-hmm. and using it as a repository. But I need to take some courses, Jeff. So uh, <laughs> I, I've struggled with. I, I really for all the you know the the bits of success I've had in my journal journalism career. Um, I, I've long known that my weak spot is is organization, which is yeah. which is challenging for anyone. Your tools are just as relevant, even though they may not be what we traditionally see touted as personal knowledge management tools. If they're working for you, then 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 I think that's that's the main thing. And and you mentioned organization too. I think one of the things I'm most excited about with regard to organization is, or uh, with regard to artificial intelligence, I should say, mm. is its impact on organization. And I think as these some of these tools develop, um, AI is is going to allow us to query our own knowledge in, in such a way that organizations no longer need it, I think. Well, I, I hadn't, that, that's a great point. And I um, hadn't thought about that in a deep way until earlier this week, I, I 
read a newsletter that one of my journalist friends writes. Uh, his name's Casey Newton, and uh, it's called Platformer. It's about sort of technology industry, and he's sort of on the side has been someone that has been searching forever for help in this space and has tried a bunch of things. And, you know, he had this long essay in this newsletter. And at the end, he basically just said what you said is that, mm. and he gave some examples of, you know, querying your own your own knowledge and um, to 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 really help in this regard. And so um, as scary as the AI revolution might be in some ways to some people, this mm-hmm. is one, as it sounds like with you as well, I'm very, very excited about. Yeah, other podcasters, Alex Hermosi, I think is his name, uh, is, is one who's done this or had it done for him. But, but one thing I'm working on right now is a chat bot for my Read to Lead website where any listener can go and ask the bot a question uh, based on you know my f- almost 500 episodes and, and have that specific knowledge and, and transcripts queried to, to turn out an, an answer. Uh, Seth Godin is doing this at his web- website for his years of, of written content. I think it's a powerful thing. Absolutely. Well, Jason's uh, new book again is called Winner Sells All, Amazon, Walmart, and the Battle for Our Wallets. Again, I think it's a book that every leader uh, needs to read. Uh, Jason, thank you so much for taking the time. I really, really appreciate you being here today. A lot of fun, Jeff. Thank you. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Jason Del Rey. For more, you can visit the show notes page for this episode, readtoleadpodcast.com slash 492 for episode 492. There you'll get a summary of our conversation along with links to the resources Jason and I talked about and ways to connect with him online as well. Plus, a direct link to jeffbrown.me where you can join the Read to Lead community and make sure you're informed about these free books I'm giving away for the rest of the year. You can also go to readtoleadpodcast.com and join my email list. Again, that's readtoleadpodcast.com. I hope you had a great Labor Day weekend. Thanks again for joining me. Hope to see you next week. Until then, as always, remember, leaders read and readers lead. So, you've got an idea for a business, the store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out, everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media, source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Has the winter season taken a toll on your tile, upholstery, carpet? Call Cyclone Cleaners, 570-726-6200. For all your carpet, upholstery, and ceramic tile cleaning needs, it's Cyclone Cleaners. Also offering odor treatment and soil and stain guard. Choose the only cleaning company that supplies the water to clean your home and disposes of it when they are finished. Call Cyclone Cleaners to schedule your cleaning today, 570-726-6200.